So let's talk about our objectives um, for the series, what we wanted to get out of it. Uh, we wanted to illuminate the character, the capability and capacity of stewardship that lies inside the believer if truly believed, regarded, and acted upon, that there is a character um, of you and a capability and a capacity to be faithful in stewardship. Um, if you believe that um, and you regard it and act upon it, too, to elaborate on the principle, the pattern, the power, and the promise of stewardship. The principle is whatever you're faithful over right now, God will make you rule over more. We've talked about the pattern. We've seen patterns of both good and bad stewards. The power of it is that you can demonstrate your qualification for next level living into something that you have right now. And the promise is that as God watches your stewardship, he schedules destiny advancement and promotions for you, regardless of what other people say about it, because um, he's the ultimate decider. Amen. Three, to motivate you to address intern the internal and external change necessary to fully benefit from your inherent capacity for stewardship, taking the natural actions that trigger supernatural outcomes. How do you, faithfulness is a natural thing that you believe something and, you, and your actions on it day after day, week after week, month after month is the way that you're demonstrating something. It's very natural sometimes. It's just getting up and doing the natural things to um, be faithful in an assignment that God has given you, but it often triggers a supernatural outcome. Four, to activate the divine partnership potential with God through the identification, activation, and continuation of your role as steward. I want to identify myself as a steward. I want to activate myself as a steward, but stewardship is a thing you got to re-up. You got to recommit to. And so we'll talk and we'll give you an example today that sometimes you can develop a, a, a character or a reputation for stewardship and then you let it slip in a, in a moment. And then once, once it slipped, if it slipped too bad in, in a specific area, it'll be hard to even pull it back. Um, and then finally, to accelerate you toward the stewardship God intends in each area of your life. We gave you these. Um, principles from um, one of the um, our mentors, Bishop C. Milton Granham, and he made the statement that the commitment towards being a steward of God is not a feeling or an urgency that most people grow up with. It consists more of a functional decisions that needs to be made on a daily basis. So you have to decide. You could have all these years of deciding to be a steward and then say, I'm going to nut up and just do something and go a completely different way. And then you will undo what you've already done. All right. The second one is, is that it is not a task or commission that one has to work towards, but it is still, it is a personal commitment and choice that is validated and renewed on an ongoing basis. All right. And then I gave you the prophetic impression that God is challenging you and me to develop the mindset, motivation, maturity, mannerisms, movements, measurements, management, milestones, momentum, and trademarks of stewardship and leadership. All right. Um, and go to the pillar definitions. The pillar definitions we had of stewardship is really important. And we've talked about workmanship and entrepreneurship. Um, but the stewardship one is the one I really want to hone in on as, as we finalize the series. It is the acknowledgement that spiritual, physical, financial, and relational resources 
that are entrusted to us belong to God and must be faithfully accounted for. Now, because we are our own resource, that you are a one-person brand, you are a one-person company, that you are an individual workmanship, how you work out the gift that is you is you. It's something that God made, and so your stewardship may not turn out to be exactly like somebody else's, even if you're using the same principles, all right? Because he gives to every person according to his several abilities. So, you know, don't judge yourself by somebody else's ability because he gave you what you could handle. Just multiply what you have, right? In other areas, remember, that's the difference between the parable of the talents and the minas or pounds, that the pounds, everybody got the same amount and then they multiply them differently. There are some things that we all get. Nobody gets any more than 24 hours in their day. But how you maximize your use of time can seem like time is more prevalent for you than the other person. If you, <laughs> I, I think about all of these um, the, the you know, some of these young people that go out to get a college degree and go into debt doing it to get a degree that won't even pay for itself. I, I get concerned about that, right? That they're trading, they're trading money and time for debt, and then the outcome of that will not be able to service the debt that they created. Right? So you always have to be thinking about that. Okay, God, how do I maximize what you've given me? And entrepreneurship just recognizes that you get the power to get wealth through biblical success principles. And for us, in the context of stewardship, in the categories that we're talking about, we're not just talking about financial wealth. All right? So, and, and today's, today's content will specifically talk through um, categories of wealth, categories of wealth. Because um, it's not just money, because when we taught on the, um, the unjust steward in Luke 16, what we said and what we established is that Jesus said that if you haven't been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give to your trust true riches? So money must not be true riches, but it is a qualifier for, for true riches. And that's the one thing people that uh, some people say, well, money doesn't matter. Well, Jesus didn't say money didn't matter. He said that how I handle money is a parable for how I will handle true spiritual wealth. So if I mismanage money, then there's probably some revelation, something that the Bible calls true riches that I'm going to mismanage as well. All right. So remember our definition of um, stewardship, the Greek word oikinamos, a house distributor, a fiscal agent, a chamberlain, a governor, or a steward. Economia is where we get the word economy, um, was the next one we gave you. And uh, we showed you that it is the person, it is the dispensation or the administration of a household, a state, a city, or nation. All right. I explained oikos, namos, and that those, what those words meant. Um, and you've seen this stuff before, so I don't want to repeat all of that. Um, the working definition I've given you on stewardship said that stewardship involves the responsibility of managing all that God has given you to be used to fulfill the purposes of Christ and to allow you to fulfill your personal destiny in the kingdom 
of God. Um, and then we talked about, uh, we last week we talked in detail about these five principles that occur in the stewardship model, that there's, there's ownership, <coughs> there's ownership, um, there is what we call the trust, the living will, um, that there's a trustee that the owner has entrusted with trust property according to the trust deed or the, the, the wishes of the owner and that there must be a beneficiary. We talked about that in detail. Faithfulness is the principle, you know, um, and we hear that term under the trust. We said usually when people get in trouble, they violate the trust, okay? Um, you think about all the things that has happened concerning priests in certain churches, which shall remain nameless. Um, when actually um, in that movement, this was told me by somebody in the movement, the reason that those priests could not marry had nothing to do with the Bible. It was because somewhere centuries ago, they, the, the priests were trying to pass on ministry to the sons, and rather than to stop the, the priests from trying to pass ministries on to their children, they said, you won't have no children, then you won't have nothing to pass it on to. Then the church could control it. It had nothing to do with, oh, we're going to be, you know, we got to do this because of God. It had nothing to do with none of that. Anyway, fa <laughs> anyway faithfulness is a principle. Um, the the uh, trust, trusty, trustworthy, steadfast in devotion to principles, personal behavior, and promises. Then we said visitation. Visitation um, was a good one that there is a time, um, I love the definition. This definition came, you know, out of one of um, one of the commentaries um, that I had electronically. It says that that act by which God looks and searches out the ways, deeds, character uh, of men in order to adjudge them, their harvest accordingly, whether joyous or sad. In other words, it's a time You've been saying payday will come, and then payday does come. That's visitation. And that payday can be good or bad, meaning it could result in what number five calls, either promotion or demotion. When the visitation comes, people do not remain the same. Okay. Um, and God has a way of coming out and finding you. All right. Then we gave you the components of a trust last week. We talked about the appointer the beneficiary, the trust property, the settler, the object or the trust management and who is the trustee as the person that, um, the trustee is the person who fulfills the trust. So these six areas um, that when you think about a trust, pointer, beneficiary and trustee and then the settler object and the trustee, right? And so these are just ways for you to think about your stewardship. These are not, okay, okay, who is the settler of this? Well, God created me, so when it comes to my physical life, he's the person who is the owner and the settler. I just want you to have these terms. What is the property that I'm managing it? All right, who, who will benefit? Because sometimes, like, as a pastor, I serve God, but I serve for the benefit of people. God didn't say, hey, Moses, um... That you need a place to preach, so I'm sending the 
I'm sending you to the people because you need a place to preach. He says, I heard the cries of my people. Therefore, you go down. All right. So when Moses got that out, got that out of whack by smacking the rock because he was mad at the people who God had sent him to and was not benefiting them in the way God intended, then Moses lost his trusteeship, his stewardship. Okay, and so what happens is people start to think that things that are for their benefit, for the people's benefit are theirs. If you get that trust thing out of whack, then you run into danger of um, of violating some trust that God has. Amen. All right. Um, Then we talked about the seven steps to maximizing the stewardship cycle. Care for resources like they belong to God because they do. Number two, work, utilize all the resources in your life according to the purposes of God. So you got to know what God's purposes are and how these resources apply to that. Three, prepare your management ability to be ready to be steward over more. Four, plan for increase with the righteous resolve because you can steward to a certain level that gets increased and then waste the increase you got and not use the increase in the way that it was what God would like, even though the increase came because you were faithful at one level and you got more. That's the scripture says it this way. The prosperity of the fool will destroy them. All right. Number five, be bold and take God opportunities as they come. Be bold and take God opportunities as they come. When your stewardship opens the door, don't go back from it. I've seen people who had their stewardship open a door, and then they got scared to go through the door their stewardship open, as if God's going to leave that door open forever. Listen, when David heard about Goliath, he ignored his oldest brother telling him to go back home with the sheep. All right? And because David ignored his oldest brother, Eliab, who told him to go back home to his few sheep in the wilderness, small struggling church. Because he ignored his brother, his oldest brother, telling him to go back to to those few sheep, when David became king, he became the boss to his oldest brother and gave his oldest brother a job, not the other way around. I'm just saying, be bold to take the opportunity that come to you. Number six, Cultivate an attitude of partnership with God. We are workers together with, with him. Exercise faith and patience in the process. Faith faith is always in now, right? Um, hope that's not seen is hope. If we hope for it, we can patiently wait for it. So there's, a, there's an aspect of it where you call yourself like you're already there. You act in line with where you're going somewhere in your now. And you wait for the full manifestation of it. All right. Now let's look at these eight categories of resources. This is what I wanted to, because I gave you that list in our stewardship definition about physical, you know, spiritual, physical, relational, uh, financial resources. But this, that's a list of resources. But here's just a fuller listing of resources that we want to talk through today. And then we'll just give you scriptures under each category. First is what we call personal resources, understanding you as a person. You are spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Each one of those is considered wealth scripturally. 
Your spirit is wealth. Your soul is wealth, all right? And your body is wealth because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are priceless, all right? Time is a resource that you must steward over. Um, and the management of time and how you manage your person in time can, can result in the development of skills, right? Um, number four is your career, business, and management. Now, why did you, why did you um, talk about that? Because your career can be an individual contributor. It could grow into where you are a, um, you have a career as a professional in some area where you actually own a business enterprise and, and either of those can get to the point where you have to, you're not just a doer, but you become a leader of doer, leader of doers, and hopefully a leader of leaders so that you can multiply, but then you have to then have a system of accountability checks and balances when you're managing that, that level of enterprise and management as a result of that. The fifth is ministry. You know, there is some commonality between ministry um, stewardship and career business stewardship, even though some people think that's kind of a sacrilegious thing because uh, you're not for profit. But listen, if, if even if I measure the profiting in souls, I still have to be able to generate an income beyond the expense to multiply. Relationships, relationships, family, friends, business, community. And then we're going to talk about um, kind of your relational brand in terms of your name and reputation, uh, finances, um, and then assets. And uh, my assets list, um, frankly, I'm not, I'm not fully satisfied because I, I think there's more to it in that category than I'm, I'm really prepared to, to really unleash because I want people to think of assets as more than just money. Um, you write a song that gets royalties. That song is an asset, right? It's, it's said that... Um, um, it said that uh, just something I watched on online recently about the, the movie, The Lion King, and there was this young um, African-American actor who, who sung in the original Lion King, one of the Makuna Tamata, whatever. Yeah, that. Um, he, he, he wrote that song, and when he wrote it, it said that Disney tried to give him like $2 million, and his mother was savvy enough to turn it down because over time it had more residual value in terms of residual income by not giving away that money or not taking this, the, the check right now. All right, sometimes, um, and I was reading uh, one of the books by Bishop Tudor Bismarck, and he talked about how um, in Africa, you know, people had had some land and they were in his country and mineral rights were found on it. And they came in, you know, some mining executive came in with a big thing of money bigger than they had ever seen, uh, which was about 200,000 us dollars. And then they have made hundreds of millions of dollars from that. And they could have been getting 
a larger piece, but they took the initial because they didn't understand the value. And so um, I want you to think of stewardship more, more broadly than just um, finances and immediate money. Okay. It's interesting that if you look at a Fortune 500 company's annual report, um, you'll, you might even see a category called goodwill. And goodwill is just their, the, the, the value of their name. But goodwill means something. You, you put I in front of something and say they came from Apple, there'll be a line standing out of some store trying to get it. I'm just saying, you know, all they did was put a little I, oh, I got headphones. No, they eye headphones. <laughs> I'm just saying their name has a certain brand that, that people are loyal to. You know, even those of us in the automotive industry said, sometimes we'll take our car, go out to a clinic and cover up our brand on it and just have people judge it, thinking it might be something else, and their reaction to it differs based on the name that they associate with it. We've got the data on it. This is not, I'm not a victim. I'm just telling you we've done the, we've done the homework that, that reputation carries something. I'm just telling you, if they can quantify things, you should be able to quantify it too and be able to measure it and then manage it and then multiply it so that you can maximize it. Say amen if you got that. All right, so let's talk about the personal one. Let's go to spirit, soul, and body. Look at some scriptures here that we'll just talk about in terms of your stewardship over your life personally. Look at Proverbs 4.23, all right? In scripture, the word heart and spirit are interchangeable. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, talking about his spirit. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, all right? Where it has to be in your heart or your spirit. Okay, so let's look at this one. Keep your heart. Some versions say guard your heart with all diligent for out of with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. So my heart must be guarded. It must be protected, or to use the language that we're using now, my spirit man must be stewarded effectively. If I steward it right then what comes out of it will be life, life-giving, life-giving to other people, life-giving to me. Some things I must protect my, my spirit from. Some things I must protect my spirit for. I have to hide it from some things to hide it for some things, all right? If I'm, 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 I'm waking up um, in cold sweats, because terror affects you at your heart. Men's heart failing for fears, the way Jesus said it. Then I probably shouldn't be going to haunted houses next weekend. I'm just saying. Because fear is a spirit. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Okay. Um, and so I have to protect my heart because what, what comes out of it will bring life to me and can spring forth, it can be a wellspring of life. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 45. 
Okay, now it's talking about your heart or your spirit, but then it starts talking about treasure, something of, of real value. This is true riches. It can't be financial riches because they don't come out immediately out of my heart, but it's clear that how I deposit into my heart depends on what I can bring out. Luke 6.45 says, a good man out of the good treasure, treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. So I must be depositing. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Okay. So um, part of my, my stewardship plan is making sure that I deposit good things inside my spirit so that in trouble, good things or out of it come good things. So I guard it from the evil things, right? I said, I want trash in my heart so I don't let it in. You bring in trash, I let I tell you, you got to dump that some other place, not up in here. All right? I make sure I deposit good things in so that good things can come out because I want to bring forth good things out of me, all right? So that's, that's, that was the spirit piece. Let's look at the soul, Matthew 16, 26. For what profit it, income greater than expenses, is it to a man if he gains the whole world on the balance side, on the asset side, and loses his own soul on the liability side? Or what? will a man give in exchange for his soul? What can you exchange that's worth your soul? Jesus here is saying that your soul is priceless. So your own mind, will, and emotions. The rich man was in hell. He tried to will himself out of it, and he couldn't will himself out of it because he had lost his soul. He didn't lose his mind. His mind was sharp and intact. He certainly didn't lose his emotions, but he could no longer make a decision to change the course of his destiny. So you should consider your ability to choose destiny and a sacred, inviolable right. And you must choose wisely because whatever you choose, you will live with for all eternity. All right. So you should steward your ability to make choice. Okay, and you should protect that from people who want to get you into default choices. Because that's not good stewardship. All right. Um, let's look at thoughts. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans in the King, in the King James says the thoughts, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. So I must be able to think rich thoughts and poor thoughts. Got it? Because some thoughts will lead to prosperity and other thoughts will lead surely, it says, surely to poverty. All right? So you should be judging. Is that a broke thought? <laughs> <laughs> make sure you cast down them broke. Make sure you cast down them broke imaginations. Amen. All right. Let's look at Philippians four eight. Philippians four eight. 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Okay? So I can actually choose thoughts to on purpose um, enrich myself on the inside. I can reject thoughts that are taking me towards poverty. I can accept thoughts that are taking me towards prosperity. All right? You, you forgive people not because of what they did. <laughs> you have to accept the apology that was never given or something like that, one of my. <laughs> you, you, accept, you accept that and move on because unforgiveness is an impoverishing thought. It impoverishes you. Now, you don't let them people just because I forgive you doesn't mean you get back where you was. You moved on, move on. I'm going to let you go, okay? But I'm not going to tie myself to your, to your stuff. I'm just moving on without you. Does that make sense? Right? But I, I choose to keep, I, I, don't, I, don't allow you, I don't allow you to dump your trash and me to marinate your trash in, in, in my treasure. Okay? Amen. Now, let's, let's take a few that talk about the physical body. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. That almost sounded Old Testament. If I didn't know it was in, if I didn't know it was First Corinthians, I would might think it might be. Excuse me. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. All right. So it says you you don't belong to you. Your physical body is not yours. That's our that was our thing when it came to sexual sin. That you don't just because you got knees don't mean you can do what you want with your body. All right. Because God said, you didn't buy your body. I, I got the title deed to your flesh. I purchased it. You are not your own. And he says certain things. So remember, there's the ownership, but you are the, you are the trust. You are the living trust. <laughs> and if you willfully do things that defile your body, then the wages of that sin is death. And, and that body will start to kick you out. That's very clear there. And it says God has a hand on it. I mean, that almost sounded Old Testament, but you guys, it's in your Bible like it is in mine, right? But you understand that that trusty relationship that God, God considers the trust that you have of your body something that's very important to him, that his Holy Spirit lives in your body. So he's watching how you, how you take care of it and making sure you don't defile it. But you can defile it with bad thoughts. You can devile it with, with wrong things in your spirit, or you can devile it with things that destroy your physical body. All right? Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. 
And it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? That's that stewardship piece. Ownership is God's. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your stewardship should be the, the trust management agreement is that everything that I do in my spirit and my body must bring glory to God. If I violate that, then I'm in danger of being kicked out of my body. Adam violated the trust of the garden. He got kicked out of the garden. Right? So the same thing true is true for this physical body that's made from the dust of the earth. This is my garden. If I violate it, I run the danger of being kicked out of it. Amen. All right. In our act, eight categories of resources for stewardship, the second one on our list was time. So let's look at time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. See then you walk, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. Now let's look at Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Time was given under heaven for humanity to achieve purpose. And that there are certain seasons that you live in. What you don't want to do is be a person in one season of your life trying to act like you in another season. Kids trying to be grown and then grown folks want to be kids. Everything is beautiful in its time. So if you out of time, you ugly. Right? That's the other part of that. So you got to know what time are you in and what's appropriate for the season that you're living in. Now look at Psalm Chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How do I count out days from the end of my life backward or from where I am forward to maximize the season that I'm in? I want to not miss moments because I haven't numbered my days, you know, it's just like when a team is on um, is in a game and they have a game clock and the clock is running out and they're behind in the score. They will do certain things to make up time. They'll try to they'll run hurry up offenses. They'll 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 have you know no huddles. They'll they'll get down the field. They'll run plays to 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 get to the sideline so they can get out and stop time. Everything that they're doing is trying to maximize their moment um, so that they can get the most out of their opportunity. That's what that scripture is telling us, is that we should sense where we are in time. And then sometimes, you know what? You got to acknowledge this ain't working and you got to cut bait and move on. All right? Because time is telling you it's moving. All right, let's look at number three on our list. Number three is skills. Skills is things that you take time and apply towards what you have personally to develop the skill. All right, let's look at Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. 
whatever your hand, that's, that's part of your personal, finds to do, do it with your might. Apply time to that thing in your hand, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Do you see how time and your personal came together in diligence to develop a skill? Now let's look at Proverbs 22 and 19. Do you see a man who excels at his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You'll get opportunity based on how you were diligent to develop the skill. Proverbs 18 and 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Yeah, a man's gift will make room for him. Listen, 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 listen. You don't have to make your room. Your gift will make room. David, David was keeping his father's sheep. He had got anointed by King Samuel, not King Samuel, the prophet Samuel, to be the next king. But right after that moment of anointing oil, where the presbytery came, because Samuel, before he anointed him, called all the elders of the city, the city fathers came, and Samuel went past Jesse's seven older brothers, went to David, the youngest one, and went anointing him in, in front of all of those people, even though all of them had time to get ready, and David came in still smelling like sheep because he didn't have time to get ready like the rest of them bros. And after that, he goes back to doing what he was doing before. It didn't look like nothing had changed until his gift made room for him. Saul got in trouble, had an evil spirit, and then they said, I have found a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is cunning in playing, and his gift opened the door that brought him from keeping sheep to the palace. I'm just saying your gift will make room for you if you, if you cultivate your skill. That's clearly what the scripture is telling us. And so whatever gifts you have, you develop that even beyond the need of your current opportunity. Some people, I've had pastors and bishops say, David, why you prepare, how you, why you prepare messages like you prepare? You don't understand. I understand my gift is my door to my next opportunity in Jesus' name. All right, let's, let's deal with number four on our list. We're, we're making good time. You're good class. Um, career, business, and management. Let's look at that one. Proverbs 24, 27. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. All right. The way that the Lord gave that to me is uh, when I was uh, a young single person, um, the Lord said to me that in the dictionary, woman comes before work, but in God's dictionary of purpose, work comes before woman. In the sense that you should have your work prepared to where you're viable and then build your house from there. Amen. All right. Um, I had to explain that because somebody said, well, are you saying that, you know, your career comes before your marriage? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in terms of purpose, I'm laying out to make sure that I have something that's sustainable. All right. Look at Proverbs 27, 
23 through 27. Career, business, and management. And it says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered, gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maid servants. So look at the enterprise in this. It says you have this person here um, is clearly is clearly a farmer, right? Uh, has a farm um, that has different kinds of animals on it, right? Because flocks is different than herd. You can herd goats, you can herd cattle, but flocks are sheep. So he's got different kinds of those kinds of resources. Then it says, hay is removed, grass, um, grass shows itself, herbs are gathered in. So he's farming some things, right? And it says that I've got to be diligent to look at the state of each class of assets in, in my multifunctional business. I got to look at the sheep. I got to look at the goats. I got to look at um, the hay. I got to look at the grass. I got to look at the herbs. And each one of those will provide a certain income to me, but each one has to be looked at and cared to according to its own needs, which are different from the other needs. Okay, you know, um, I have had the pleasure of being in two of the major functions within the automotive industry that I live in. Some people only live in one function their entire life. People that grown up in manufacturing, that's all they've been. They've been in from this plant to that plant until they go to being a plant manager, until leading plant managers and vice presidents and so on. Other people, like my late bishop, he had he had spent time in, in three major functions. He had spent time in manufacturing, in engineering, and in marketing. What, what you need in each one of those is different. And sometimes... People that say manufacturing look at the engineers like, what was that dumb engineer thinking? But see, they don't know what it lives like to live in my world. It's different. Then I got engineers who have never had to make, listen, I made that line go. I know what it's like to, to build 60 an hour. Don't play me. I, that's what I had to tell them. I went down to Hamtramck. Um, you're not supposed to say the name. I went down to the one plant that I had started out in and uh, I had to tell him, man, don't talk to me like I'm some engineer that I don't know. I said, man, I made that line go like you made it go. Okay, David. All right. All right. I saw, all right. Don't talk to me like I don't know. Because I done been there. You know it. Some of you trained me. Okay. I'm just saying that when you have multiple functions in, a, in an operation, each function is different. And you got to know how to manage this one differently than you manage that one. You can't, you can't. <laughs> you you shear you shear sheep, right? But you but you milk goats. Different. Okay? 
And so each one has a different thing that's in it. And that's what he's telling us. And all of those things cause your household to go so that you'll have enough food to feed your whole household. And then you have enough resources to need other people to help you manage your estate in Jesus name. All right. Look at Proverbs 12, 24. And it says the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. The hand of the diligent will have leadership to the point that they manage others. But the lazy person will be under somebody's management. All right. Now, as you think about this career management and um, career slash business as management, please remember all of the things that we talked about when we talked about Luke, um, Luke 16 stewardship, that the, that the owner had multiple systems of management, had multiple ways to get information. You never have one way to get information, never. You always have a way to check the people that work for you, always. Now, I'm not saying that you don't trust them. I'm just saying that just you trust and verify. Don't expect unless you inspect. Don't just think it's going to be okay. That's not just true of the people that manage the stuff you can see. What about them banks that's managing stuff you can't see? You should go back and you're inside your 401k and look at how much, how much do they get um, the mutual funds get from each one of your stocks. You should ask the question, and is that a good number? And is their performance worth it? Because they're trusting you not to look at their numbers. I'm going to tell you, Tyler Perry got it right. I can do bad all by myself. I'm just saying. And sometimes we have entrusted stewardship to the untrustworthy. Because we aren't checking them, then they don't, man, as long as the money's there, they don't care. Because to them it's dollars, but to you, you got to live on whatever they do. I'm just saying. All right. Number five is ministry. Um, this is a big one. So I definitely want to make sure I get to that one. Number five is ministry. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Number of things you can say about this one. There's no way in two or three scriptures I can do this justice, but let's look at a few. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Uh-oh, before I go to verse 11, let's just stop here for a second. It says that if you are a pastor, you have a certain type of grace that you minister. As a teacher, you have another different, distinct type of grace. You're an evangelist, you're an apostle, you're a prophet. Each one has a certain facet of the grace of God. You have to steward that grace that's on your life so that you can minister it to others, but you got to treat it like it's valuable. Saul did not steward the grace on his life. Samson did not steward. He didn't care for it like it was some supernatural thing from God. He squandered the grace in his sin. And then he tried to shake himself and get the grace back. 
and did not realize that it had left him. You have to steward the grace on your life in ministry. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the mouthpiece of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as a minister of the gospel, I have to treat the gift of God for a ministry that's on me like it's sacred. I have to do everything I can to protect it. I have to monitor it. I have to understand what stirs it up. I have to understand what shuts it down. I have to protect it. I have to be sensitive to when it's increasing and when it's decreasing. And when it's maximally developed, I have to find what's the environment that, that makes it the, of best use. Okay. Now let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. And it says, till I come, give attention to reading, reading of the word of God, exhortation, coming alongside people and encourage them, and doctrine, orderly teaching of the scripture for foundation. Then it says, do not neglect, neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Meditate on what was given, what was said about you at your ordination. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Continue keeping an eye on yourself. Continue and keeping an eye on your doctrine. For in doing this, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. That's a strong scripture about this, the kind of stewardship you should do as a minister of the gospel. Whatever your ministry is, even if yours is just one-on-one -on -one evangelism, whatever that is, you got to keep an eye on it. All right, now let's look at Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 48. Now this one is Jesus speaking. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward Steward, this is Jesus talking about steward, whom his master, who is Jesus, will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Now it's talking about the word of God as spiritual food. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that, all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, Jesus ain't coming again. My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two. And appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Some people, after this, some version says there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. That's why I tell people hell has a variable temperature system. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Listen, this is, this is the scripture that I, that I quote when I tell people, I know too much to backslide. I know too much. Listen, hell will be way worse than for me. I know too much. <laughs> That's why I can't, I, like, the craziest thing in my mind is when I see preachers, I'd rather you just say, Lord, you know, I'm like Jonah and I don't want to go, but... Um, you know, or I'm like, you know, I'm like Elijah, just kill me now, take me to heaven, commit saint aside. Then, then to be out there, like saint aside is not where you kill yourself, that's suicide. Saint aside is where you ask God to kill you. Moses said, God, take me out. Elijah said, God, take me out. Jeremiah was in prison. He didn't, he didn't like what he was going through. There's a lot of preachers that went through stuff that made them feel like they wanted to die. All right. Um, but that's different than saying, well, I, I don't stop believing the Bible altogether. I, I'm thinking these dudes have to have lost their natural mind. I, I'm sorry, you know, you got me on record. So if something happened later, you can say I said something, but I'm sorry. Uh-uh, I know too much. That no. I got it. But what what did what did Paul tell Timothy? Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. So you got to keep looking at that thing, because if you keep, if you don't, if you let your eye get off of it, you can get off, right? Somewhere, people, when you see these people who were once Christian preachers and pastors say, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible, somewhere they weren't taking heed to themselves and to their doctrine. Their stewardship was failing, and they didn't pay attention, okay? So, so now where they could save themselves and those that hear, because I like that. He says, save yourself first and then save the people that hear you. <laughs> right. When you're on a plane, what did they tell you? If you got a young child with you, you breathe the oxygen first and then you let them breathe it. Because if you if you pass out, they hit. So you got to you got to get yourself some first. Take heed to yourself and to the doctor. You will save yourself and them that hear you. OK. Now let's look at number six. We're closing here on this series. I'm praying this is a blessing to you. Uh, let's, this one says relationships. But look at the categories that we listed. We talked about family. We're talking about friends. We're talking about business relationships. We're talking about community relationships. We're talking about your name and reputation. Your name and reputation is the value that you have as an individual in the community that causes people to want to have relationship with you and the outcome of the relationships you've already had. Got it? All right. Now, listen, um, I did a whole series on the dynamics of destiny relationships. Go back and look at that one on the family side. I don't have time to go back in that, but I talked about family relationships in detail in that series. So I don't wanna redo that one, but I do wanna get into some of these other areas. Um, let's look at Proverbs 18, 24. 
A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Um, look at that. It says, if you want to harvest friends, you must sow a seed of friendliness. All right. Um, there's another passage of scripture. I can't tell you where it is. It talks about a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. All right. And so I want you to think about how are you developing yourself? Some people say, man, everybody's unfriendly, but it may, it may not be everybody. You may just not be emitting the friendly seed. So you're trying to harvest something that you haven't sown. All right. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. All right. Now, this flies in the face of the, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God, uh-oh, and man. Now, for him to increase, he at one point was lower and at a later point was higher. Right? Everybody in everybody's lightning fast mind, you can get that. Right? So, favor must be able to be measured. If you had a favorometer, <laughs> okay, I've never heard of that. I just made it up. If you had a way to measure your favor, and he started, this scripture started when he was 12, when he told his mom, I must be about my father's business. If you had seen his favorometer at 12, you would have saw like a speedometer that it was accelerating to the time he got to 30. All right. So that must there must be ways for you to assess where your favor level is, how to manage it and how to multiply it, not just favor with God. As long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Hold up. Okay, because Jesus wasn't saying that. The favor with men must have been important or the, it wouldn't have been put in Scripture. Okay, and so I want to challenge you to, um, to do that. Now, favor with men in the business, in business and in community and in the context of, of, of the church and the ministry that it was a part of must have been important because he was tracking his growth in it. And it followed the growth of his wisdom and his stature as he was maturing. Everything he did was age and stage appropriate. All right. And in some cases, he was clearly at a, at a phase where his wisdom appeared to even be beyond his years. Because he went into the temple at 12, asking questions and answering them and answering them. So there was some wisdom that was coming out of him that astounded the people who were in there. Amen? All right. Now look at, uh, let's talk about the good name. Let's talk about the name reputation piece. Proverbs 22 and 1. A good name 
is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. So something tells me that when Jesus talked in Luke 16 about true riches, your good name is one part of it. Okay. All right. Now, you can't control what everybody say about you, because sometimes you make one decision that people don't like, and all of the good stuff they said about you, they scratch all of that out and say other stuff. Okay? What you have to control is what you do. Because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment, I can condemn. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. My righteousness is of him, says God. So, if what they say is false, it can't stick. Okay, but if it's true, you can't shake it. All right, now let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. It's also another good name scripture. A good name is better than precious ointment. Uh-oh, precious ointment talks about the anointing, right? and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Okay, so let's talk about that one for a second. A good name, I'm anointed, but is your credit good? I'm just saying, okay, it might be better <laughs> For you to have less anointing and better credit. I'm just saying, because that's what he said. A good name is, is more, more than precious ointment. And, and we've studied the anointing, anointing oil and ointments all through scripture. So you know that the ointment, one type of that is the anointing, right? Now, um, but it also is giving you a sense that your name has a certain savor to it. Like perfume leaves a fragrance. What is the fragrance of your name? Okay. Um, now, why is the day of one's death better than one's birth? Because if you kept your if if you kept your good name entire in your entire life, then the memory of the just is blessed. All right. At the end. <laughs> If you've done everything you can and you kept your name right, you did everything right, then you can't mess it up after your death. All right? Now, it's interesting. There are some folks, you know, in some of this Me Too movement, people that some people got caught before they died. Some people took their life after they got caught. Some people... It was reported after their death, and then everything that they did before their name, right? But they had destroyed it before it just came out later. This scripture is talking about a person who has retained and maintained their good name their entire life, and then at the funeral, all we're doing is the eulogy is just saying what they did. All right? Now, let's talk about how you can destroy your name. Look at Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it 
to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. What you don't want to have is you have developed a reputation for wisdom and honor, and then people see flies, smell flies in your ointment. Because you have some silliness. That's why you want to fix your dumb stuff before your name really gets big. Okay? That's that thing of being faithful in that which is least, being faithful in much, being unjust in the least. Usually when something happens and there's this big person who has this big fall, they had these small falls and, and they were passing over them and God had tried to deal with them before they grew their name grew big. And so, listen, do everything you can to, to safeguard your name. One of the promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 is you go to this country, I'm going to make your name great. So that's part of the blessing of Abraham. You're supposed to have a good name. That's part of the thing you should be believing for. And if you've had a bad name, if you had things that destroyed your name, God gives you enough time to clean it up and redeem your name. You don't have to stay stuck in, your, in the bad mistakes of your past. God will give you time to get your name right if you're purposeful about it. All right, let's look at our list. All right, so that's relationships. And listen, don't consider the name part of that like small. The name part of it is big. Some people's names open doors. There are some preachers I'm like, I don't ever want, I don't even want to be named. You know, there's people you don't want to be named among. Okay. All right. Um, and, and you don't want that kind of thing to follow you, especially if it's true. You know, now haters are going to hate. Jesus said, blessed of you if men say things falsely for you for his sake. So um, there's an empowerment when people do things and say things about you falsely. But if it's true, then you got something else to live down, right? Number seven on our list, number seven is finances. Um, there is so much about finances. There's no way in the time that we have left that I can do this justice, but I'll give you a few scriptures that will um, encourage you in this area. My, my, this, these categories, um, the scriptures are not in exhaustive. They're just to give you some thought parameter that you can use to, to undergird your stewardship in this area from the word of God. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. That, that's a fact. But he who gathers by labor will increase. So how you got what you got matters to God. Okay? How you get it matters. Look at Proverbs 8, 18. We referenced this in our, our pillar definition of entrepreneurship. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 8.18, Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You should be believing that you have an empowerment from God to acquire the level of finances you need to fulfill your purpose, and then some, in Jesus' name. Okay? Um, but part of that is embedded in your stewardship. All right? What part of the covenant is that wealth for? What you don't want to do is, well, Lord, I tithe. And then he wants to get, he wants more offering. And you say, but I gave you yours. So the rest of this is mine. He has something else he wants to do with some portion of it. I'm just saying. Right. All right. Now look at eight. Um, eight is land, precious metals, real estate, which is um, kind of repetitive there and contracts. What I'm trying to get at this category is the is to, to get you to think more broadly about assets more than just money in the bank. Sometimes having money in the bank is the lowest and worst form of asset. Though it's liquid, it's losing value just by virtue of inflation. And sometimes you have to put that money to work by buying an asset that can increase in value once, as long as you have enough liquidity to handle any emergency that you have, you should also, sometimes the worst thing you can do is just have money sitting liquid because it's losing value even just in the bank just because the dollar is not the same as what it once was. Our inflationary society where money is no longer tied to a tangible asset like a gold standard means necessarily that it is, it is always losing value somewhat. Whenever they talk about quantitative easing, they're throwing money into the society, though the, the goods and values of that society doesn't necessarily increase, which means the the, the money, all of, it just goes to a smaller amount. And people get happy because they got a raise, but then they also see that other stuff get, the prices get higher because it's just the virtue of economics. You follow me? So, it's, so because of that, putting your money to work and making money work for you, not just you work for money, is an important part of your stewardship strategy overall. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. And it says, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you rain for your land in its season. Rain in, in its season. Rain on land is an asset, isn't it? Lack of rain causing drought is a liability. The early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So there were categories of assets that were more than just liquid cash, right? A land that had rain on it is an asset. Grain, corn, excuse me, grain, new wine, and oil are assets. Grass and field 
is an asset if you got cattle, which itself is an asset. Okay. Look at Genesis 13 and 2. Talks about Abraham. And Abram was very rich in assets, in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Okay. And so we should be in faith for God to give us assets. Now, on my list, um, the one ask, the one place I felt like I hadn't done everything that I wanted to do before today was to give you a broader classification of assets. I think you understand the term. I just want you to be thinking more broadly in terms of what you would consider an asset. All right. Um, most people have a bunch of junk. Let me phrase that. Most people have things that they like, but one man's trash is another man's treasure. Now, you could go on eBay and sell things if you have a garage sale, but usually if you do a garage sale, you're selling pennies on a dollar. You do an estate sale, you, they, people are not going to pay you the value of it privately unless it's something that, that you purchase that increases in value. And then sometimes, you know, uh, you buy something and you, you, you bought it and people don't know the value of it until they see you got it. And then they come, hey, you want to sell X? I'm hearing a lot of that right now in Jesus' name. Okay, because I saw something, they didn't understand the value until they saw what I did with it. Now they understand the value of it that they couldn't see without it, right? But it clearly says that this thing is a value, all right? And so you want to be thinking about Assets and partnerships and arrangements and stuff like that. Think about these as assets. All right. Um, how do you quantify the value of the relationships you have? Some relations, some relationships are insurance. It's not just the insurance you pay. It's who you can call when you're in trouble and they come. A brother is born for adversity. The person who I got in trouble and they came right now, that relationship is a real asset, all right? So then that, I, I have to steward that relationship like the, uh, to, to demonstrate my care of the value that it provides to my life, amen?